You're listening to another edition of the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Patricio Robayo. Today, I'm joined with a panel of journalists, including Leah Mayo from The River Reporter, Chris Raleigh from The Schwanka Journal, Derek Kirk from The Sullivan County Democrat, and Philip Pontuso from The Times Union. It's been a busy month. A lot of things are going on. Liam from The River Reporter, let's start with you. The Sullivan County Adult Care Center, this has been an ongoing issue. We have an update here that there needs to be a certificate of need transition. Sort of, can you tell us what specific changes do you anticipate might occur as a result of the Sullivan County's transition from the county government to a consultant? Yeah, so the shift that is currently happening is Infinite Care, which currently consults on running the facility, the Sullivan County Adult Care Center, is applying for the Certificate of Need for the Sullivan County Adult Care Center. What the Certificate of Need is, is basically a state-issued acknowledgement that this community has a specific need. So in this case, it acknowledges that the area around this care center needs a senior living facility. And the person who has that certificate of need is authorized to provide those services. Currently, it's the county that has the certificate of need, and Infinite Care is now applying for that. Um, I think some people are concerned, or I've heard the concern, that this is going to lead to a sale of the facility. I've reached out to people in county government. It doesn't look like that's happening. The It was always the plan when Sullivan County hired Infinite Care to consult that they would transfer the certificate of need back when they made that decision in 2021. It's just been delayed two years, that application. So it doesn't look like the facility is going to be sold. What changes there will be will be for the staff at the facility. Currently, they are county employees. And uh, once the certificate of need gets transferred over, they can no longer be county employees. So if people want to keep their staff benefits, they will have to go to another position in the county if they want to keep like their county union employee benefits. And if they want to sort of move into the private sector and work with infinite care, they can do that and remain at the facility. Where this sort of connects to patient quality is this concern about staffing, because there's been a longstanding concern about staffing levels at the care center. There was a survey done earlier in the year that sort of testified to a pretty chronic level of understaffing at the facility and had some specific examples of like how people not being fully staffed led to little bits of care slipping and little harms to the patients who are there. There are a couple of things that could result from this certificate of need transfer. One is it's it's just shaking up the staff that works there. If a lot of the staff decide they want to keep their county benefits, or if they don't want to be private employees, a lot of the staff could leave. Um, and that could be a obvious problem. This this all is speculation. I'm not, it's not like confirmed that a large number of staff are leaving. I'm just sort of laying out possibilities for it. Another thing I've heard from Infinite Care representatives, though, is they've said in the past that having to sort of abide by the county's pay restrictions and uh, just county regulations in terms of the union has restricted a little bit the things they've been able to do to attract new staff. So in theory, if Infinite Care is now able to sort of attract staff to a completely private facility, a facility that will still be owned by the county, but run completely privately, uh, there's the possibility 
that they could do better at um, solving this staffing problem. So it's just going to be something to track going forward. Absolutely. It's definitely, definitely a huge shakeup as far as the, the employees goes. You know, those who have worked there for many years, building up benefits, building up you know, re- retirement, what, what, what have you, now to have the decision whether to change into the county or go private or go to another job or altogether, uh, it's a big shakeup, especially if you've been at one place for uh, for, a, for a very long time. So, so what has to happen is the transfer of the certificate of need. That that has to happen, right? That that is what is currently happening. It's it's not finalized yet. Um, in terms of whether it has to happen, I don't know that as much. I mean, Infinite Care has sort of been managing the care center without that for the past two years. So in theory, that could continue indefinitely, but I I believe it was always the plan and sort of the understanding when Infinite Care took the job of managing the care center that they would get that certificate of need. The saga continues for the care center. Liam, let's take a look what's happening at the New York State budget. It's continually getting extended. There's an extension now. anticipated for Monday. Some of the county representatives were at in Monticello recently with our state senator and our assembly member, Aline Gunther, talking about the budget along with the acting district attorney. Bail reform has been one of the biggest things that has been holding up the budget. Can you tell us what happened at this press conference in Monticello? Through, through some of Sullivan County's representation, it was uh, Senator Peter Roberacker, Assemblywoman Aileen Gunther, and uh, acting district attorney Brian Connolly held a press conference on Friday talking about uh, bail reform as it related to the budget. Um, One of the things that's been holding up the budget that has been widely reported is that Governor Kathy Hochul is trying to get through changes to the way the state does bail, giving judges a little bit more discretion. In the Friday's press, and the Democratic-controlled Senate and Assembly is sort of pushing back against that. So that's one of the reasons why the budget is continually delayed. In talking about it, Oberacker and Gunther brought forward a couple of different things. Oberacker said that the governor's proposal doesn't really go far enough, if I'm remembering correctly, but that even that proposal is getting blocked by the rest of the um, governing machine. And Gunther sort of highlighted both that she had sort of always been opposed to bail reform, but also that the state was putting a lot of money into its mental health initiatives. She said that there was $1 billion allocated in the year's mental health budget for mental health beds, and that a lot of the times the the crimes that sort of get wrapped up in this are associated with mental health issues. So it's sort of an indirect way of solving this problem. Oberacker sort of took up the mantle of a local law, Billy's Law, that or a locally inspired law that uh, was first introduced by Senator Mike Martucci when he was Sullivan County Senator. And that was when a local firefighter from Forestburg, Billy Steinberg, uh, died of a heart attack while responding to a fire set by someone who was out on the streets, allegedly because of bail reform. Um, Martucci sort of introduced a law uh, changing the way bail was set for uh, felony arsons or certain felony arsons. And now that Oberacker is our senator, he is sort of taking up the mantle of that law and trying to push it forward. So that that was kind of the bail reform aspect of it. Sullivan County has also sort of weighed in on a separate issue, the issue of the state share of Medicaid. Governor Kathy Hochul proposed in her executive budget a 9%, $2.9 billion increase in the state share of Medicaid. 
paid for in part by taking over $600 million in federal Medicaid funding that would otherwise go to county governments. And this has sort of made county governments a little upset, a bit of an understatement, but the New York State Association of Counties has been pushing back very hard against this, and they've been advocating that there are a lot of things that county governments already fund that the state mandates, and taking even more money out of county governments is, um, it, it just makes all of that worse. Um, Sullivan County sort of reissued that press release and sort of affirmed it, saying that this was a proposal that could drive up taxes if state legislators don't address it. And it sort of, as I was looking into this, sort of a connection I found with the local level was an arcane thing where every, Sullivan County is currently taxed, or the sales tax for Sullivan County is currently at 8% overall, 4% of which goes to Sullivan counties. And that sort of has to be authorized every two years. There's like a I believe 1% total increase above the default level that gets reauthorized every two years to put it up at that 8%. And the County of Sullivan is sort of pushing for another extension of that to be granted as it has been in years past. And there were, in, in when previous increases, it was talked about that one of the reasons this happens, uh, one of the reasons Sullivan County needs this additional revenue is unfunded mandates like uh, the Medicare stuff and uh, other programs where the state mandates it and it draws money from county coffers. So this proposed when they say this proposal could raise taxes on local residents, that's potentially what they mean. It's it's this like mo extra money that the county governments will have to pay for things that would have to be come from somewhere. And in past, they've talked about it potentially coming from this sales tax. So. Pay more taxes. I'm sure it was always is something that folks don't like to hear about. So and especially, you know, you know, towns and villages and the county really are still, you know, we're still in, in, in the sort of the after effects of the pandemic of this really ongoing pandemic. You know, I remember there was a time that the that these uh, the aid from this for the state was going to be a lot less than it usually is because of fears of of this pandemic, really the speculation that this the the economy was, was going to go down and, and which it did. Uh, but the county sort of, uh, it, I remember hearing in the legislature a couple of times that the uh, the county wasn't as bad as they, they expected it to be. They projected it to be a lot worse than it was, actually. Yeah, and, and the the fear of COVID or the, the impacts of COVID are a good thing to point out. And that's something Sullivan County pointed out when it was asking for this most recent like extension of the slight raise in taxes uh, the or to to hold taxes at that 8% rate. It said that um, the county is dealing with significant losses of revenue due to the current economic downturn, partially from COVID. Liam, thank you so much for that report. Liam Mayo from The River Reporter. Now let's take a look at what's happening in Ulster County with our Ulster County reporter, Chris Raleigh from the Shawanka Journal. Chris, welcome back to the program. You have an article about a playground in the heart of Ellenville that needs some work. Uh, what do you think are some of the main factors that contributed to the deteriorating condition of this playground and, and how are these issues being addressed? Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a good old legacy issue. And once again, we're dealing with budgets, um, which have been uh, something that everyone has struggled to balance for at least 4,000 years, maybe five. 
Um, no one has ever managed to successfully do it very long term. Um, and uh, I'll be very interested to see how New York State goes with this year's one. But uh, uh, what's happening at the Burmrod Park is that they put in playground equipment uh, probably 20, somewhere between 20 and 25 years ago. And it's the very end of the era of wooden playground equipment. Uh, it's very robust, but it's made of wood. Um, not pressure treated, I don't think. But uh, and of course that has a is becomes a problem. Um, and over the twenty to twenty five years, it's had a lot of use. It's very popular stuff for the kids of the village, um, but it's worn out, and it's it's parts of it are broken, uh, parts of it are sagging and are quite dangerous. They're going to be they're going to be shored up soon, and there are there are parts that are you know. You could get splinters. Kids could put their hands into some of the beams. You know, I mean, it's it's got its dangers. So um, for about the last year, the village has been talking about um, doing something with it. Mostly the village is basically broke. And so the village of Ellenville has been uh, basically trying to um, um, unload the Burn Road Park onto the town. Uh, the town has kind of resisted coming in on, on a joint uh, sort of services thing with the village on it or taking on the costs of it because the town has said quite re quite reasonably, we don't own it. You know, if we don't own it, then, you know, for our budget to take care of this uh, park, it, it, you know, that's that's probably illegal. Um, so if, if we're to do anything about it, we need to own it. So now the village has come around to that. And I believe uh, they're discussing uh, how to uh, transfer ownership of Burn Road Park to the town of Wawarsing, which has, by the way, done a very good job with the big park that it manages, which is Lipman Park. Um, but Lipman Park's a little far away for the kiddies of Allenville to get to. You'd have to drive there, and they're not doing that. So Burn Road Park is in desperate need of, of an upgrade. So the conversation swung around to... Uh, uh, a visit by um, uh, the mayor, uh, town supervisor, and other people to the park last week, uh, and they came away with a rather grim conclusion that it had to be leveled, that all the equipment had to go, which would mean there'd be no playground uh, in the village for the kiddies. And that set off, uh, I don't want to say panic, but it set off a, a certain amount of anger and resentment and uh on Facebook and everything else, um, and those, you know, the drums were beating in the hills, put it that way. And uh, you know, the, the 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 mayor and the every everybody heard that. So there was a quick uh, rethink, and uh, uh, another trip uh, was made, and more trips made by village manager and streets department people to look at ways that they could repair for a little while uh, some of the equipment so that it can at least stay open. So that's where that's ended up at the moment, while the bigger conversation about um, shifting the ownership of the entire park goes on to uh, the town. Uh, that's probably going to happen. Uh, I think they just got to work out the details. I believe that is now being studied by town attorney Bill Collier. And, uh, <clears throat> and to go with that comes work on the adjacent basketball court, which gets heavy, heavy use and tennis courts, which get you know, some use. Um, and there's a plan to put in pickleball courts. Pickleball is coming 
uh, everywhere you, you'll you'll be hearing the sound of, of plastic uh, uh, balls being whacked with paddles. Um, what th th those balls are, are very similar to wiffle balls. Have you ever play wiffle ball? Yeah, we all play wiffle ball at some point, right? Uh, I can actually get a pretty reasonable curve throwing wiffle ball. Anyway, um, that's going to be coming. But meanwhile, um, the basketball court is a disaster. Uh, it's it's set. It's interesting. It's set. Uh, both those courts are set close to uh, a steep embankment coming down from the ridge. The, the, the park is set right close to, to the base of the Shangam Ridge. And so water is constantly coming down that that slope and underground and then going underneath the, the courts, which of course have heaved up and heaved down and have got cracks, major cracks. So the village's uh, street department is repairing cracks at this point, um, but obviously long-term, uh, those courts need to be replaced and resurfaced entirely. The village is also going to, um, uh, the village streets department is going to do its own work uh, and build a drainage ditch around the courts to try to take the water away from that area altogether and take it down uh, to uh, Burham Road and then under through a through a conduit of one kind or another and get rid of it. So um, that's work that's going to be in progress that can be done so that the basketball court will be usable. Um, and that court gets a lot of a lot of play. It's it's always got guys playing. So um, those those are the issues with the, with the Burn Road Park. Uh, we have yet to see uh, how uh, they will um, uh, how they will they will deal on uh, uh, <clears throat> replacing the equipment. The replacements for that equipment are, are, are they're viewed. They've got them. I've seen the pictures. What they're looking at. But this stuff all begins at around $16,000, whatever, right? Um, none of it's cheap. Um, and uh, it will cost quite a lot of money, which the village doesn't have. So uh, the village is basically working with the town, uh, uh, or should we say the other way around, the town is working on a joint application to Ulster County uh, for a slice of a $2 million grant that the county's put out there, which will be shared amongst all 20 towns in Ulster County. So there's a potential 200 grand to be got, but it requires matching funds. It's one of those matching fund grants. So you get your 200 grand, but you have to come up with 200 grand of your own. Um, that would mean 100 grand from the town and 100 grand from the village, which doesn't have it. So the village will have to search for it or... The one possibility the village has is to use the remnants of the so-called mountain money, which is money that the village got from selling the square mile tracts on the mountain that it had picked up back in 1900, 1910 for $10,000. But those dollars, of course, were written on uh, much heavier paper and <laughs> worth a hell of a lot more than today's dollars. But, uh, but uh, so... But they got uh, 3.88 million uh, for that square mile, and you know over the years the interest rate has done has, has interest has increased that. But they've spent the interest. They've also dug into it. To dive in deep, they have to have a probably have to have a permissive referendum if the people call for it. So it's got a little bit of a delay, but eventually they could secure that money. Can all this be done quickly enough? to 
satisfy Ulster County's needs on this grant. And the county would like to have all this done by this by August, I think at least. And as we all know, this kind of thing takes forever to put together. So that's going to be a race to the to the final uh, line there. And then money will be granted and then spent. And maybe by this time next year, the playground equipment can be repaired, replaced. So I guess the question comes down now, can decent enough repairs be done to enough of the equipment uh, to make it, you know, get through this playing season and into the winter? Uh, and one thing I know that they are going to do, which they can do, is they're going to bring in another kind of foot or so of mulch, which is the stuff that playgrounds are always littered with these days, and um, and that that will that will refurb the surface because, for instance, underneath the swings there are these deep uh, you know pockets that have been dug out that are two feet two feet deep. So little kids' feet, I'm sure, just spinning in the air there you know so so that kind of thing will be will be undertaken and um and they'll go forward and meanwhile um town village will get serious about transferring the ownership of that park to the town uh and then then it will go under the control of the joint town and village parks commission uh which is a specialized group that will do what needs to be done so that's that story um, uh, I know that you know the playground can be a very uh, a major focal point of sometimes in a community, and and it could be, you know, used a lot, a lot, you know, by parents and with young kids. You know, there's somewhere to go with these kids to get outdoors, play, and have activities to do. Has there been any kind of community movement, local, you know, community grassroots movements to sort of uh, raise funds to rehab the park? I haven't seen that yet. Uh, I I would not be surprised if that didn't come along pretty soon. You know, uh, the village has some uh, wealthy uh, residents. Uh, they may uh, spring into action and uh, produce uh, some of the money that's required. So with it, that, all those conversations are being had and held now and will continue. And clearly something has to be done because, as you say, uh, it's a very important uh, aspect for the community you've got to have a playground there's a lot of kids in Elmville, so absolutely absolutely like i said it could be it could be a very important it is a very important aspect of a community so uh hopefully the they said the parks gets rehabbed and everyone you know can enjoy it and the community can enjoy it uh also in another article that's in the swankock journal it's about the senior center it's in need of funding. There was a big meeting recently to sort of search for grant funding. What are some of the areas of need for the senior center and how could the additional funding help address those those needs? Well, the senior center is in Napanock, the little hamlet, which is uh, part of Wawarsing uh, and it has a little old industrial uh, nub as well. Um, senior center used to get a stipend from the town, but... Um, for one reason or another, budgetary, I'm sure, um, that has been cut. So uh, it's facing closure unless they can come up with uh, grant money from somewhere or other. Um, the senior center, though it's in Napanock, serves uh, seniors up and down the Rondell. Uh, people come down from as far away as um, Accord and Cahonson, and they come up from parts of uh, Sullivan, uh, Phillipsport, uh, down down towards Wordsboro. Um, so 
it's very popular with uh, people who like bingo. Um, they have a couple of bingo nights every week, but that's their only income is $2 entry for bingo. Uh, so uh, they, they need help. They have a big bill from the winter for, for oil uh, uh, and they can't pay it. And so, uh, you know, they're basically having, uh, they've, they've rung all the bells. Uh, they're going to get uh, a number of elected politicians to come to a meeting on Friday at the senior center. Um, uh, I may attend myself just to, if they'll let me in, just to see what the tenor of the conversation is like. Um, and they're going to be asking, you know, what can we do? How can we uh, find some stream of funding out of the county? Uh, out of the state um, that will keep this, you know, probably very useful and important uh, facility open. So that will be an interesting meeting. That's on Friday between 1 and 3 at the Senior Center on Main Street in um, in Napanock. Um, and the building is... I don't, I don't want to say dilapidated because it's not really dilapidated, but, you know, like any building, uh, you have to... You have to have maintenance. You have to keep it up. And there are some parts of that building that are showing their age. I believe some parts of the front facade are in, are, are in trouble. So that's expensive. They need to uh, get some funding for that too. Um, but it's 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 another of these things. It's popular with the seniors. Um, seniors vote. And uh, uh, county legislators will, I, I, I did know that county legislators responded very quickly. Uh, and both, uh, county, both county legislators for the area, John Gavaris and Craig Lopez, who, who are good guys, uh, are both you know, booked to show up and uh, will carry, carry the sword for this. So we'll, we'll see. Um, uh, bit more of a problem for the town because it's their budget that changed. Um, Maybe they could, you know, revisit that. But yeah, budget's done. They passed their budget, so mm, I don't know. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for that report. Uh, Derek, Derek Kurt, the editor for the Sullivan County Democrat. Let's turn to you. Let's see what's happening in Narrowsburg. There was a sort of a shakeup at the Tustin Energy Committee. What can you tell us? From what I understand, there's been some resignations. What were some of the reasons for the resignations? What does their departure mean for the future of this committee? Yeah, so uh, recently the Tustin Energy Committee, or the TEC, had three members uh, re resign, uh, one of them being the chair. It was cited uh, by one of the uh, resignees who said there was a lack of support uh, from the town board and didn't really elaborate on that any further, just kind of generalized, um, just feeling a sort of disconnect, I guess, between the board and the committee. And for the future, uh, regarding the, uh, you know, the energy committee itself, the one of the members who resigned, the chair, Brandy Marola, she was part of the uh, Tustin Energy Committee uh, from its foundation in back in 2011. And uh, from the reports of the other members of the committee, she was a, a large, uh, you know, uh, mobilizer of the committee. So, you know, it's, it's hard to tell where it will go. Um, a lot of the projects that they had been working on were either finished, uh, brought to completion, or uh, were passed on to other organizations. So the effects of the TEC, whether it will still be as, um, uh, uh, you know, in effect as it was uh, prior, 
um, the the effects of what they did will still be felt to the community, I believe. And one of those projects being uh, the horse, which is a, I believe, a food waste system that is going to Cornell Cooperative Extension in, in partnership uh, with another organization that they'll be able to continue using what the TEC had began. How did the town board react to the resignations? Yeah, the town board, I think we're caught at a shock. I think when I talked to Brandy, she said that she uh, had, had no prior mention of resigning earlier. So I think the town board were kind of caught off guard. You can tell um, a lot of them, you know, were definitely upset uh, that the TEC was taking such a strong hit, um, you know, from not only the chair, but, you know, uh, leaders in the community who have been around a while. And uh, um I in my article I wrote that uh, Councilwoman Jane Lusinger, uh, you know, stated that she would brag about uh, going out of town and talking about how great their um, energy committee was and the things that they did for the town and um, you know all all the the bells and whistles that go with what they did and she was along with the rest of the members of the board expressed their you know, sorrowfulness that this was you know the reality. Well. That's a good report there, uh, Derek. Thank you so much for that. Let's move on to Koshekton. There is a large proposed project in Koshekton at the Four Corners. What can you tell us about this new project that's coming there? Because uh, 70B is a, it's a heavily trafficked area. It's, it's sort of a, a main artery through Sullivan County. Right. Uh, absolutely. 17B is you know the super highway of Sullivan County, it seems like sometimes. But uh, the proposed project as of right now uh, which went before the Shecton Planning Board is kind of um, like a, uh, a uh, diesel truck stop, I'd imagine. Uh, currently, uh, it was brought before the board by Joe Picone the second and, and Joe Picone the third, um, and uh, it was told to the planning board that there would be four shops with a parking in the front uh, and gas service with diesel, as well as a luncheonette. Um, so it seems like it would be a nice uh, little either trucker stop or a place for, you know, people who are just passing through 17B, um, some place that they can kind of rest their heads a little bit um, as they travel through the county. Uh, and the supervisor of Kashek and Gary Moss also stated that there will be electric charging stations um, that will be uh, available for use um, at this new project. Uh, the timeline for it, I believe... Um, the project is expected to take two to three months to get all the necessary approvals before the board, uh, before they are able to start moving with construction, which is expected to be seen uh, mostly completed in about six months. So pretty fast turnaround uh, expected for this project in Fosterdale. Um, and as for the, um, you know, the character of 17B, uh, you know, it's uh, like I said, it's it's in my opinion, one of the super highways of Sullivan County, um, at least for the, uh, you know, the Western side. Uh, um, so I, I don't think it would affect the character all too much other, in, a, in a negative way. I think it would be a bene beneficial addition. Has there been any mention of possible road closures while the construction of this project is happening? I don't believe that they had mentioned that there would be any lane closures. At least there is none in our publisher, Fred Stabbert III's article. Uh, but definitely that would be something to follow up on um, and keep a close eye on. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much, Derek. Derek from the Sullivan County Democrat.
Uh, let's turn to you, Philip Pontusa from the Times Union, the Hudson Valley Bureau of the Times Union. We're going to go back to Ulster County, and we're going to talk about the Ulster County Human Rights Commissioner. There's been some allegations against him. Uh, his name is Tyrone Wilson, and he recently has been fired from the county. Philip, what can you tell us about this story, and what are the allegations? Yeah, so there have been... As far as I've been able to tell, at least three complaints that were filed to the county about Mr. Wilson. Uh, the first one seems to have been filed in mid-February of 2020, about three weeks after he was appointed by then County Executive Pat Ryan. Um, and then the latest one was filed um, just last month uh, to, to Jen Metzger. And the allegations, broadly speaking, concern uh, offensive language that Wilson used on social media posts, on his radio program, on Radio Kingston, uh, which is called Harambe Radio, um, and in a couple of, or at least one um, incident uh, in, in person around an organizing event in the summer of 2020. Um, and the the language it kind of runs the gamut so it should be mentioned that that Tyron Wilson is a black man and he's a prominent leader of um in the social justice community in Ulster County he founded the Harambe organization and led the effort to preserve the Pine Street African burial ground in town um but on on his radio show um I can start with those. I suppose there had been one um, episode where he, this is the most recent one. It ended up being the last episode of his show where he repeated uh, a derogatory term for gay men. It was the same term that ended up getting the Kingston high school principal reassigned. Um, and basically he defended the principal at length on the basis of intent and then sort of mischaracterized where the term arose from. He said, quote, uh, it came up in the 1980s when the gay community was not under the attacks the way it is today, um, which is a little bit rich given that the HIV AIDS epidemic was raging through the gay community in the 1980s and that received uh, little mainstream media attention at the time. Um, he, he also used an offensive term uh, for Asian people in comparing the physical characteristics of some black people's eyes to Asian people's eyes. And he defended himself later uh, on his radio show and, and on social media, basically writing that uh, black the black woman is the only woman that carries the Eve gene, a reference to a so-called mitochondrial Eve, the common ancestor for all women. Um, and then he uh, he's also kind of railed against child support. Um, saying that women who uh, seek child support in a separation, it's not about the child, it's about bitterness. He wrote that on Facebook in January. And then in a, in a previously unreported incident in the summer of 2020, during organizing meetings for a protest march after the, the death of George Floyd, um, he told an organizer of Asian descent uh, from the group Citizen Action to, quote, get back on the boat. Uh, according to two people who were present at that meeting and another person who corroborated their account. Um, he had also, sorry, one I forgot, 
He'd also defended Kanye West and Kyrie Irving for uh, espousing uh, so-called Black Hebrew Israelite views and for promoting Kyrie Irving promoted an anti-Semitic film on uh, Instagram that, among other things, asserted that the Holocaust never happened. And he said that uh, Black people were they to be given reparations by the federal government should look to the Jewish community for inspiration based on reparations they got after the Holocaust saying that um uh saying that uh jewish people did what they were supposed to do keep the money in their community um so kind of a wide range of things it had been um as i as i was reporting this story it came to me as a tip from one of the people who had made a complaint previously and as i was reporting it i, I kind of quickly learned that um this was sort of an an open secret uh, among uh, certainly people in social justice organizing circles in in Ulster County, and uh, you know several county legislators had been made aware of this. Uh, the first complaint, as I mentioned, went went to Pat Ryan. His communications people declined to answer any specific questions on the record, um, and. Uh, the current county executive, Jen Metzger, also didn't really answer any specific questions, but what she did when I sent the questions to her is about 36 hours later, she fired Tyrone Wilson. Um, so I don't know if that was a direct result of of my looking into this, um, but he had a couple of complaints that were lingering for up to three years and uh, seemingly no action was taken. Both the former county executive and the current county executive have said that they can't discuss personnel matters, but there's there's actually no law that says they can't do that. Um, that's a common kind of fig leaf, I think, that uh, people, that elected leaders will hide behind to avoid discussing a lack of action taken, perhaps in this case. You know, it's possible that he was censured behind the scenes, but obviously he was never, he, he kept his job. Um, and that that's a paid position. It, it was paid $77,000, um, or that's what it's budgeted for in the 2023 county budget. And it oversees a board of 10 volunteer commissioners who, among other things, are charged with investigating complaints of discrimination filed to the county. Um, so I think there will be probably some more fallout from this. Um, you know, most of the parties are not really speaking publicly yet uh, as they decide what actions to take. And as the county, I think, tries to protect itself from uh, from a lawsuit or something. Um, so, yeah, that's that's that. Um, as of now, the county's chief diversity offer, off, officer, sorry, Essie Lewis, is serving as the interim commissioner for human rights until a new commissioner is appointed. And the so that commission, it's staffed by mixture of county executive appointments um, and county legislature appointments, but the commissioner chair, the head commission, head commissioner is always appointed by the chief executive. So it will be uh, Jen Metzger who appoints the the new um, human rights commissioner. Wow. I mean, some of the things you were listing and reading in this article is amazing that he lasted this long. Just like I said, uh, funny, but it's not funny, but this is to be human rights commissioner who deals with Things like this uh, are usually brought to him, Tim, not him spewing the, what he did. 
Um, and also him doing it in a very public way, not only on his radio show, but also on Facebook. Yeah, and in, in public Facebook posts too. So, you know, not, and, and anyone who's who's met Mr. Wilson or interacted with him, I think will say that he is, um, he's not a very apologetic guy. He, um, you know, he, he kind of believes what he believes and, and he'll, he'll voice that vociferously. So to me, in, for my story, Kind of executive Metzger basically said she can't make any further comments. Uh, she said that uh, he was let go because uh, of, quote, his ability to make all segments of our community feel welcome, safe, protected, and heard. She no longer had confidence in that. Um, in some of the follow-up stories that have come out in, in the Daily Freeman and the Kingston Wire, she's uh, she's gone a little bit further, I think, now that the news is out and said that he was fired uh, because of a record of insensitive comments. Um, so that's where things stand as of uh, Thursday afternoon. Does any reporting mention of, of how did the, because some of the complaints came in right after he was hired. Um, how did the former county executive, Pat Ryan, did he have to justify his appointing of Wilson as the chairperson of the Human Rights Commission? Well, he, at the time, that was one of the questions that I had that they declined to answer, but they did point me to a press release that they issued at the time of his appointment, citing uh, his 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 track record, basically, um, which, and, and I, I say this in the story, um, you know, I, I think at that time, it, it, it maybe did seem like an obvious fit. To, so we didn't have the radio show yet. Um, uh, I mentioned previously his work uh, with Harambe, which is a sort of, it's a cultural organization that does programming on African and Black American arts and uh, and education. Um, he had also served on Ulster County's Restorative Justice Task Force and had done a lot of work with youth in the community. Um, so he was, you know, he he seemed like a a, a decent choice. I, I I had a question about. Um, whether or not he was vetted in any capacity, they didn't answer that. Um, so, and then, yeah, you know, within the, the first, the first complaint that I have at least been able to verify was sent, uh, and I have a copy of this email to Pat Ryan's office, um, like three weeks later. So, and it's unclear if they ever did anything. Right, right. Well, thank you so much for that story, Philip. Uh, it's really troubling that, you know, these allegations are from the Ulster County Human Rights Commissioner. Let's take a look at what's happening in Wallkill. There has been an update. Uh, you have an update for us on the Megan McDonald case. For those who don't know, Megan McDonald was 20 years old and she was murdered in Orange County in Wallkill in 2003. And just recently, on Thursday, state police have announced that a local man has been charged with her killing. Philip, what can you tell us about this story? Yeah, this is a big breaking story on Thursday afternoon as we're speaking. Um, this was probably, or this has probably been the most famous cold case in in Orange County, if not all of the Hudson Valley, you know, for the past twenty years. Um, and state police announced Thursday morning that they had made an arrest and charged a man with uh, second degree murder. Uh, the person they've charged is Edward Holly, and uh, according to Lana Bellamy, who's reporting this story for us. They are characterizing this as intimate partner violence. Um, they said that he was the former boyfriend of Megan McDonald, and they broke up uh, several days before she was killed. Um, and also, this is not in our story yet as we're speaking, but there was a press conference on Thursday afternoon um, 
And turns out that Mr. Holly was already in Orange County Jail on unrelated charges. So he's being arraigned in Middletown City Court, and he will return to the jail afterwards. So yeah, this puts an end to um, what, again, had been a really prominent case. Um, you were mentioning sort of before we started recording that if you drive anywhere around Middletown, Walk Hill, that area of Orange County, you'll see signs and posters uh, with with Megan's face. She was 20 years old uh, when she was killed. She, she was working at the Galleria Mall in Walk Hill, and she was last seen driving into the parking lot of an apartment complex uh, off Freezer Road in the town of Walk Hill. Her body was found the following day off a nearby rural road about 10 minutes later. Um, we did ask at the press conference why it took so long for an arrest. Uh, police wouldn't answer that, but they said that uh, they said that they wanted to wait until they thought it was appropriate, and today is that day. So <laughs> it it is, you know, there have been some updates or at least a little more attention, I think, in the last year or so. Um, we we did a story about the case on the 20th anniversary of of the murder, which was just last month, March 15th. And over the past couple of months, the state police, the the FBI in New York and NYPD had conducted fresh interviews, including people with people who were close to the suspect. Um, And there was new information that was revealed about the whereabouts on the night of the murder that helped kind of fill some gaps in the timeline. So we'd kind of thought that there like there had been a lot of clues maybe that an arrest might be coming over the past month or so. Um, So it wasn't a huge surprise, I guess, today when this news broke. When I was reading the article, what what I took away from it was seems like the police knew the prime suspect, that this person was the prime suspect for a while, and and it took a while to sort of uh, get to the point that he had to be arrested. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's, that's probably a fair characterization i you know i haven't been reporting on this case myself especially going back a year so I'm, it's not totally sure what everybody knew and didn't know um but it does seem as if the man they ended up arresting has has probably been the prime suspect for a while and the fact that he was already in jail and they, of course they would have known that maybe made them feel like they had enough time to really build up an airtight case, especially if there were gaps in the timeline of events on the night of the murder. Um, so, you know, he wasn't out in a danger to the public or anything like that. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll know, we'll know more, I think, um, certainly as a, a criminal trial proceeds. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, it, you know, this was a, uh, a very well-known case. And then you mentioned before that if, if you've been in Wallkill in recent days, recent months, years, uh, there's her photos everywhere in every shop, every store I've seen and, uh, you know, looking for more information on this case. And long behold, now the police have a great lead. They arrested somebody in the case. And so uh, please keep us up to date on this ongoing issue. I'm sure there will be court dates coming up. So you've been listening to the Reporters Roundtable. I've been your host, Patricio Robayo. Today, I was joined with Liam Mayo from The River Reporter, Chris Raleigh from The Shawankook Journal, Derek Kirk from The Sullivan County Democrat, and Philip Pontusto from The Times Union. Thank you so much for joining us on the Reporters Roundtable. We also have a podcast, if you listen to us, on 
your podcast anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Just search for The Reporters Roundtable. Until next month, take care of yourself, and I'll talk to you soon.